the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What makes the church beautiful? What brings the church to restoration? It's not something man does for God. It's something that God does for his people. And he says, all of your sons will be taught of the Lord. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, hi there and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner continues our journey through Galatians today. And once again, we are back in chapter 4, focusing in on verses 27 through 31, with a brief stop along the way in Isaiah 53 and 54. What is the future of the church? Boy, I tell you what, you look around today and you kind of wonder if there really even is a future. But God is faithful, and his plan will never fail. And in that, we find great hope. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary. We should be expected to be treated by the world and many compromisers inside the church, just as Isaac was treated by Ishmael. Because people today blindly prefer self-justification and their own creation of terms with God, and they are offended at the gospel of sovereign grace as the only way of salvation that you and I believe. Now what Paul is making reference to is a verse in Genesis 21. It is verse 9 in the story of Isaac and Ishmael. It says, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking Isaac. Mocking mistreating, persecuting, if you will, Isaac. And Paul says, just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, you who are children of the promise and believe in sovereign grace expect to be persecuted by the Ishmaels of this world. This hostility toward worshipers by anthropomorphic religions was directed against the worshipers of the God of sovereign grace throughout the Old Testament. This hostility was confined, wasn't confined to Ishmael's hostility toward Isaac, the child of promise. Don't forget Cain killed Abel because God wasn't satisfied with what Cain could produce in his offering to God. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Esau threatened Jacob. Pharaoh enslaved Moses and Israel. Saul sought to persecute David. Apostate Israel charged Jeremiah with treason and imprisoned him. Nebuchadnezzar fed Daniel to the lions. The war against the true church of the true gospel intensified in the New Testament. The Pharisees harassed Jesus all of his life. They taught salvation by man's accomplishment on man's terms rather than salvation by grace as Jesus taught. And eventually they crucified him. Paul had crowds instigated against him to beat him up and leave him for dead by the Pharisees time after time. And in letter after letter, he has to answer the seductions of the Judaizers, those who believed in self-justification as they 
made their inroads into the church. And this war has continued to be waged against us for the past 2,000 years. The Ishmaels of this world have been persecuting the Isaacs for 2,000 years. Pelagius sought to take the church of God away from the true gospel in the 3rd and 4th centuries, and Augustine had to resist him. The Libertines and the Anti-Baptists and the Roman Catholic Church of the 16th century sought to keep Europe in darkness until Calvin and Luther came with their bright light. The Scottish Covenanters and the English Puritans and the Dutch Calvinists had to withstand the slander and the attacks and the inroads of the Arminians and the Formalists in the 17th century. Jonathan Edwards and his followers had to fight the criticisms and the slander of the Unitarians in their attempts to de-Christianize North America. Old school Presbyterians in the 1800s had to stand against the compromised, synthetic, anthropomorphic gospel of Charles Grandison Finney and the New Schoolers who sought to make those who believed the true gospel outdated. The Southern Presbyterians of the 1800s and early 1900s had to face the charges of those who, who, who pressed for a social gospel and, and taught that the gospel is only of social and political science, actually downplaying a person's spiritual relationship with God. And 20th century Reformed Christians who believe the gospel of sovereign grace have still to fight the modernists and the liberals and the fundamentalists and the neo-evangelicals and the charismatics and the resurgence of Romanism and all of the humanists who teach against the old doctrine of sovereign grace that a man is made right with God through a decision he makes which God is faced to respond to favorably. The point is that we shouldn't expect anything different from those who are entrenched in their anthropomorphic religions. Although, as time goes by, more and more of them will be converted to Christ because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And after all, a barren woman will have more children than the married woman. But until that day, remember Paul's warning, so you won't be caught off guard. And don't be naive and so unprepared for the war. We are living during the most ferocious global religious war in history. And the whole world, the vast majority of the people in this world outside the church and inside the church seek to silence, discredit, ridicule, and persecute those who believe in the gospel of sovereign grace. That is why the New Testament speaks in such militaristic words, words of warfare, like wearing the armor of God and the church being the army camp of the saint, and the ministry of the church and the world is tearing down fortresses and everything else raised up against your Christ. So don't be naive about this, brothers and sisters, and don't think I have a martyr complex. Personally, I do not want to be a martyr, but it is a fact of this life for which we must all prepare ourselves. Now let me for just a second to get to my end Explain to you again sovereign grace. Sovereign grace means that God will have mercy on whomever he will have mercy. And he will have compassion on whomever he will have compassion. And he hardens whomever he will. That is the only kind of grace there is. And if you believe in the gospel of sovereign grace, 
and the regenerative power of God that comes into our barrenness and enables us to believe in Jesus, which we can't do until we are regenerated by God. If you believe that gospel and not a gospel of salvation based on man's decisions and man's will, man's efforts, man's merits, then I tell you, brethren, you are just for the present part of a small band of people standing in the midst of a battlefield sounded by enemies trying to kill you. This is no joke. I am not exaggerating. Western civilization was born out of our faith in sovereign grace, built by the people like us, but has now cut itself loose from its historical roots and foundations, and it now hates you and wishes you were dead And it will use all of its political, economic, educational, media, and social power to silence your voices. For it sees you who believe in sovereign grace instead of sovereign man as the real perverts in this culture and the main obstacles to national unity and to the humanist agenda. Now, how does that fact affect us when we hear it? Ishmael will persecute Isaac. Well, it does make us a bit sober. But I hope it makes us more vigilant. And it keeps us on our guard. It should cause us to pray more to God, to be our shield. But the knowledge that Ishmael will always persecute Isaac must never drive us to despair. It should never discourage us. It shouldn't intimidate us. It shouldn't drive us off the battlefield. It mustn't cause us to want to let up in our efforts of exposing evil in this culture, calling this culture to repentance, seeking to conquer it by the power of the gospel and to reconstruct it by the law of God in the Spirit's power. Awareness of facts, as Paul sets before us today, that persecution will be ours should only motivate us to increase our efforts at assaulting the gates of hell. It should make us more determined to remain on the battlefield, even if we are wounded, bleeding, and the only one left standing. Why? Why should it have such an impact on us? Turn back to Isaiah 54. Paul never quoted a text out of its context. And you see in the first verses of of Isaiah 54 the promise of the numerical increase of the church of Christ. Then in verses 4 and 6, you see God's promise that His church in Christ will be saved from the shame of evil and from the kind of behavior that brought on God's judgment in Isaiah's day. And in verse 5, that a Savior, the church's husband, whose name is the Lord of hosts, is the maker of Israel, the redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. The God who controls everything on this earth is the redeemer of Israel. He controls all of the Ishmaels. He controls all of the Isaacs. And he redeems the Isaacs. In verses 7 and 8, you see a great description of the eternal kindness of Almighty God. He says, For a moment... I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. 
In an outburst of anger, I have hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. In other words, he is saying, I have turned my wrath upon you here during the time of Isaiah from about 586 to 721. When they rebelled against God and apostatized, God bringing in the Assyrians to stomp Israel and the Babylonians to stomp the southern kingdom of God. And God said, I came upon you in anger, but that was for just a moment, and I'll not do it again. It says, now to my bride, I shall love her and care for her throughout all eternity. And I will see to it that she will never return to the depths of apostasy. That she was in those days of Isaiah. Then in verse nine, verses 9 and 10 it says, God will be faithful to his covenant people. He will give them peace and compassion. He swears it. He swore it in the Noah covenant, remember? I swear I will never destroy the earth again. And then in verses 11 through 17, you see where the book of Revelation gets its imagery of the precious stones or the priceless stones in the walls of heaven. And it is describing the church there. He says, my church may be afflicted and storm-tossed and inconsolable now because of her barrenness, but I will make her a beautiful structure. I'll make her foundations and her walls of the most precious stones. And I will make my church precious and beautiful. Verse 13. And all of your sons will be taught of the Lord. We're right back at Paul's point. What makes the church beautiful? What brings the church to restoration? It's not something man does for God. It's something that God does for his people. And he says, all of your sons will be taught of the Lord. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 54 and turn to John 6. Where Jesus quotes this very verse. And you see, Isaiah 54 is a very important chapter. In John 6, notice Jesus is talking about effectual calling and the fact that God must open your hearts before we will respond to him, making a similar point that Paul has been making. In John 6, 44, he says, No one can, which means no one is able to come to me, and that is an expression for believing, unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And now he's going to quote Isaiah 54. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. But no one comes to Christ until they have been taught of God. And this teaching by God is not first and foremost through the preached word, it is an inner secret sovereign call of God to the hearts of his elect. God says the preacher can preach his heart out, calling people to follow Jesus, but they can't come until God directly and personally and sovereignly teaches them to come. And then everyone whom God teaches will come to Christ without exception. And here we are again, back to sovereign grace. 
Back to Isaiah 54 and verse 13. He says that my people will have an abundance of peace throughout their generations. Verse 14, God says that he will not let pain or terror or oppression destroy them. Then in verse 15, he says, if anyone assails you, it will not be from me. You hear that? It will not be from me. Now, the rest of this passage tells us why. When people tell us that we are in the most ferocious war of all history, surrounded by our enemies, instead of being discouraged, it causes us to want to increase our efforts. And here's the reason. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Now, God's not saying I'm not a sovereign God. He's not saying that he hadn't foreordained everything that comes to pass. He is saying, I'm not making these people sin. He's not instigating the assaults of our enemies against us. They do that perfectly and freely of their own free will. He doesn't make them do a thing. They are coming against the church with their assaults and their persecutions, and God says, I'm not making them do it. They are doing it of their own free will, and their hostility toward the gospel of sovereign grace is fierce. But whoever assails you will fall because of you. No matter how ferocious and powerful they may come with their assaults, the fact that they assault you who believe in the gospel of sovereign grace and rest upon that gospel alone for salvation because of whose you are, they will fail. No matter how ferocious or loud they scream against us, no matter how well funded and how well armed they are, because of whose you are, all of your assailants shall perish. Verse 16. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fires of coals and brings out a weapon for its works. And I have created the restorer to ruin. He says, now I didn't instigate them to sin. They did that on their own free will. But I am the one who taught them how to make their weapons. I'm the one that put the weapons in their hands. And I know them through and through. And no matter what their wicked heart may instigate against you, they can do nothing independent of me, your husband and your redeemer. Not one hair on your head will be harmed unless I will it. So he says, they come to you with all the violence and the vileness and ferocity of their rebellion against you, and their hatred against you, and their rebellion against me. But I made their weapons. I taught them how to make swords. Therefore, verse 17, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. We are surrounded. They have this well-tuned, these well-tuned weapons ready to attack us on all hands, things like the media and education and politics. But no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. All of their hearts, all of their or threats, all of their intimidations, they are nothing for us to worry about. Look at Isaiah chapter 41, verses 14 through 16. 
to the church, he says, do not fear, you worm, Jacob. See, God never wants us to forget who we are. We are not only barren, we are worms. Remember the words of amazing grace? Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote a sacred head for such a worm as I? Why do we call ourselves this? Is it because we think we are subhuman? No. It's because we only have the strength of a worm against these enormous enemies. But he says, do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you a new sharp threshing sledge with double edges. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and will make the hills like chaff. You will winnow them and the wind will carry them away and the storm will scatter them. But you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. Anyone that tries to break you will be broken upon you in their efforts to destroy you. So you see, it doesn't really matter that we are a small group now for the time being. When you have the Holy One of Israel as your Redeemer, who makes the weapons of our enemies used against us, they don't have a chance. And the more severe they are against us, the more harm they do to the apple of God's eye, the sooner we will see their demise. Chapter 42 in Isaiah verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and those who dwell on them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices, the settlements where Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and let them declare His praises in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. So let Him come. Let them take their best shot. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. And he will prevail against his enemies. Beloved, take Paul seriously here. You and I who believe in the gospel of sovereign grace and the regenerative power of God will be persecuted by the Ishmaels of this world. But there is nothing for us to worry about or be afraid of. For our God is the warrior of Israel, the church. Now let me leave you with one last thought. We have been talking about Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac's mother was Sarah. Ishmael's mother was Hagar. Now this is the last thought, so please listen. Hagar and Ishmael represent religions that are based upon man's imagination and man's attempts at winning God's favor. Sarah and Isaac are symbolic of the salvation of grace that was bestowed upon Sarah and her son Isaac. In that story in the Old Testament, Hagar and Ishmael were driven out of the family and driven out of the church. They were not allowed to stay in the family of God because what they represented 
and because of their persecution of the church and because of their false understanding of salvation by flesh rather than salvation by grace. So they were cast out of the family with the approval of Almighty God. And a vast chasm, a vast gulf existed between Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac on the one hand. And what caused that was a vast, unbridgeable gulf between the two. It was the grace of God. The sovereign grace of God, because, beloved, in many ways, Sarah was worse sinner than Hagar. And in some ways, Isaac was a worse sinner than Ishmael. But Sarah, not Hagar, was the woman upon whom God's good pleasure rested. God made a choice in eternity that he would bestow grace upon Sarah and not upon Hagar. And if you are a believer in Jesus, no longer living in unbelief and rebellion against him, it is because of God's good pleasure, sovereignly and graciously resting upon you while his damning anger abides on all those who are not his own. Oh, how blessed we are. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.